Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. Can you believe what a beautiful miracle I am in this new body, new skin, new me? How'd you look so old? Okay, wow, fuck what you happened so to Louis? much. So, <laughs> what happened to my sweet boy? Yeah. She's gone now. Happy birthday, Louie. It is you. one day after your birthday. Yes. Look at you, glowing, fresh, young, sweet, mm-hmm. supple. Uh, is that, yeah. nope, that's that's entering mm. I mean, that's iffy territory. You can't see my suppleness just yet. That's the lower half <laughs> of the Zoom call. But hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mixed Reviews. Hi, we are a film podcast where we take a film subject, such as an actor, director, or mini genre, and we give you a full history, and then we talk about what we like, and then maybe what we didn't like so much. Yeah. The, the the reviews, they are a mix. Don't get it twisted. Like, there will be good, there will be bad, okay? We watch as much as we can in two weeks. We dissect, we uh, discuss the the, the, the the conversations we have, um, you know? Sometimes we read books. Yeah. Sometimes we watch interviews. We read articles. It's crazy. And guess what, Gavin? We- Sometimes we even bring some friends along for the ride. <gasps> oh my goodness, are we not alone? <laughs> We're not alone right now. Please welcome to the stage. It's Mr. The, the bon vivant of Twitter. It's Liam Garreau. Oh my God. First of all, thank you for incorporating my second language into my intro. That really means a lot to me as a French Canadian. Yes. <laughs> and it is such a thrill to be here. I... When I tell you that I'm the most nervous mm. I've ever been, not because not just not because you two haven't made me feel anything but the most comfortable, but we as we were saying just as we were diving into this episode, this is like this is big time. This is big time. This is honestly, this is like honestly, this is probably going to be the most important work we ever do in our lives. Yes, game. absolutely. And um, I really want need to remind everyone that this is a safe yes. space. We're all vulnerable. We're opening up yes. our hearts and. Just and just because, just remember that our personal feelings about what we're about to talk about are nothing more than that. They're just our feelings. They're not yes, facts. Yes, yes. We have never I said that like there to... are any facts on here. Okay, we me no, and Gavin no, have no. never and please, said that. And please don't fact check us. No, please don't no, look anything up. No, please just no. accept everything we say is the gospel truth. I like to think that we're taking baby steps. Like yes. we we did a Jane Fonda episode. We did a dolly episode we did a share episode mm-hmm. we got to this and eventually someday we'll get to a judy garland episode and yes. then it'll it'd be too much for the world it'll and just... then and then and that is like the climax of the podcast me and gavin will say goodbye never speak to yes. each other again we have fulfilled <laughs> our destinies this will be like your fleetwood mac mm. rumors and this is gonna be the thing where that really breaks you up but then like you're gonna be tethered together by this incredible collection of material for your entire yes. lives yes. you know what i mean People will always ask us about this episode but yeah. before we get to the meat and potatoes, we do have some old business to attend to. Um, so first, our last episode, um, which is the one where I sound really bad. I'm so sorry, my good Judy's, my good friends. Um, I sound better now, huh? Um, I'm 33. Uh, we talked about Robert Rodriguez, and we asked you to go online and vote for your favorite Robert Rodriguez film. It was a close race. We had some naysayers, I would even um, say, on, on Twitter, talking some smack, which I appreciate i encourage um but don't come for me unless i call for you uh so here are the results in last place was planet terror with nine percent and then top three was real touch and go we had uh desperado at 28 percent spy kids at 30 percent and then my pick the faculty at 33 percent um and that's camp mama i was shocked and not because i don't trust you louis you you're valid your opinions are valid uh, oh, wow. But I, I was I was not aware of the fan base the faculty has, and the, here I was spending the whole episode being like, "Ugh, scream with aliens, whatever." I mean, that's I was what wrong. the girls want: scream with aliens. 
Um, you know, I've we, literally never heard of the faculty before. Is that not the most insane oh thing? Oh my god, Liam, you you simply must. You simply must. Yeah. Okay. I mean, especially if you're traveling back in the filmography of John Stewart. It's a real yeah, yes. touchstone. Yes. You know what? Sorry, I think what you meant to say was America's Thespian. John, John Stewart. Stewart. Yes. Correct. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, you, what you meant to say was America's answer to Sir John Gilgood. <laughs> John Stewart. John Stewart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I was also just recently thinking about how Robert Rodriguez gave Lady Gaga her first film credit in Machete, the first Machete. Yes. And yeah, how, yeah. and then, because I still, I'm so shooketh that he directed Rain on Me. And I'm like, wow, that relationship really just like solidified. I know. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. I mean, and that makes sense because okay. Robert Rodriguez, he's like the digital VX master. So he did mm-hmm. the he did the digital for technology that got Ariana and Lady Gaga together. Can I blow your mind? Can I blow you a little extra bit of intel that I didn't spill during that episode? Please. He's also yeah. directed um, Confident by Demi Lovato. Wow. Which totally makes sense because that music video is really Michelle Rodriguez featuring Demi Lovato. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. All the fr- mm. all the friends. So he's got some some high friends, good places. Um, we want to thank you guys for listening to Robert Rodriguez. Um, we are putting him away. We are moving on. We're closing the book, sending yes. him back to Texas. Yes. Um, and so I guess it's time, guys, to like get into it. Um, today, I mean, Liam, you t- let let the listeners know, like, why have you gathered us here? You summoned us um, to speak yes. on this blessed occasion. Well. As someone who is um, not Jewish but has been confused as being Jewish Same. their entire Same. lives and has been misidentified as being Jewish their entire lives. It's a little There's club. been a real kinship. I, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a real, there's a kinship I feel with this person. Also, I don't want to bury the lead. Do I get to say who we're talking yes, about? Yes, 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 yes. Well, listen, I approached these two fine folks about, because I had posted on Twitter, I was like, I would love to guess on someone's podcast because, you know, like attention. Yes. And I was, and they were like, and then immediately Gavin reached out and was like, okay, like basically like we'd love to have you on our show. Like here's basically the PDF word document file of everyone we've spoken about. So if you can basically from there disseminate someone we haven't talked about yet, we'd love to maybe sort of have you on the show. And I was like scrolling through, scrolling through. And of course, like you've covered a lot of ground. Yep, and I yep. was like, Gav- and I was like, then I was like, Gavin, <laughs> <laughs> what if we talked about Barbara Streisand? And then we immediately, and then all of our assholes clenched, yep. and now we're here. Yeah, yep. Fully. Gavin, that's Gavin, exactly how it happened. Gavin texted me. He was like, "Hey, this like guy on Twitter really wants to talk about Barbara. Like, what do you think?" And I was like, "Holy fuck! There are some people who it's like it's hard to get to, you know." I know, but uh, I'm excited. I, I I had I I had a blast watching her movies. I I had not seen many of them, um, and it was so fun. I've yeah. I've seen, so I should say, I've seen like the greatest hits. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I'm going to be upfront with you. Have I seen, have I seen the main event? No. <laughs> have I seen for Pete's sake? No. Good for you. Have I seen, <laughs> I mean, thank you. But you know, oh wait, you know what? A deep cut that I have seen up the sandbox. Oh, nice. Lovely. LOL. Um, but so this, but of course, you know, this, she is a person who like it is, you almost don't even really know where to begin because she sort of has mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. She has so many lanes to her career, obviously. And not only that, it's been, you know, it's unusually prolific yes. and it's been unusually long lasting. This is not a career that that most people have. And, and I think an element that makes her, and I'm sure we'll get into this in the episode, but an element that makes her work, 
I find to be especially interesting. You never lose the thread of who she is in her work. And so much of her work, I think, and this is particularly the case, I think, in some of her earlier work, notably with a movie like Funny Girl, which again, I know we'll get to, it's such a conversation she's having between the character and herself Mm. in the role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. God, I love that. There's so many uh, parallel lines. So all that to say, you have, I mean, listen, I put out the call, you answered, and I'm here on the show and we are... We are daring to go where no gay men have gone before, and we're going to really break down Barbara. Yeah, and yeah, this is our moment. We're going there. Um, yeah. Gavin, do you have like any type of connection to Barbara? Like, how did you meet her in your life? <laughs> well, my mom is a huge fan. I feel, I feel like Barbara occupies like the same sort of share space for my mom, but like sort of the opposite end, where like share was like cool and dark and mm. you know rocky, mm-hmm. and and Barbara's never. I mean, she obviously had her dalliance in the with disco in the seventies, but but Barbara, I feel like for my mother is is more stately and aspirational and more and it's so funny because i think that she's achieved this sort of status in life that feels untouchable for most people Mm -hmm. like like just astronomically rich but also like very giving and which the the thing that i found most most interesting about that in doing this research is she just wants to be seen as a normal person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which which is such a about face from I think who she was when she was 18. Oh yeah. Um and I don't know, but yeah, so I've I've had Barbara surrounding me my whole life, which is shocking that I'm into men. <laughs> um and so yeah, I I think the, like you know, that just sort of been around that. She she, she to um, me has always occupied like my rich friend's favorite singer, you know, like I, my family like really wasn't into her. Like I did not know her, but like once I, I tested into the rich high school and like all my new friends there, their moms like loved Barbara. Like it was all about Barbara. And I was like, mm. I was like, Oh my goodness. And she, I think she does occupy that kooky aunt space. You know, <laughs> I just watched her like Netflix special and the ending, like, five six minutes that are dedicated to her dog and like it's a powerpoint and she's singing over it and it's like fond and it's like for samantha streisand roland the dog that i've had you know fucking cloned for the last 40 years (laughs) yes i I also love the like little bit at the very end when she's like our last concert together and it's like that dog's not performing i know or like as if that dog is like watching from heaven like oh yeah that was our last performance um (laughs) wow but all that to say, I think we all have very special, unique relationships to Barb. What you're saying, then, gentlemen, no Start. more tears. Mm. Enough yes. is enough. Uh-huh. It, That's right. It's yes. time to move into our rewind. I can't go on. I can't go on. <laughs> so I had the lovely task of, you know, uh, giving us our rewind today. Gavin, I know you read her a book, right? I, uh, I read one of the books. Uh, she has... Um, been written about so many times which is funny because and and uh, forgive us if we get something wrong or if we say something out of place uh the interesting thing about barbara streisand is she notoriously hates doing interviews she doesn't want to speak to any biographers she has been working on on her own autobiography since i want to say 2015 it was announced in 2017 that it was coming out in 2019 it has still not come out she talks about it all the time so 
any sort of source that we have, and there are a lot of sources, there are a lot of books and everything. I read a book called Hello Gorgeous, mm-hmm. uh, which mm. which is o- literally only about two years of her life and wow. is wow. 500 pages. Wow. Stop. I had no idea it was that narrow a time frame. Oh, yeah. oh, isn't that funny? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, isn't that funny? It's also crazy, <laughs> so, though, because what was the... There's an interview that I saw, and they're asking her, oh, it's like the Hollywood Reporter Oscar chat, whatever... And the interviewee is like, or the interviewer, he's asking her all these questions. And she's like, oh, just read my book. Like, she does not want to talk about it. She's like over it. This is the thing about Barbara. Barbara Streisand at her core is also a person who does not truly understand why people are fascinated with her. Mm -hmm. Like, she actually, she does not understand why people love her. I think she is like, oh, if they like the movie, that's great. Oh, they like the record. Great. She does not understand why people love her. Mm, right. Yeah. And so I think that's why when people have that very fixated attention on her from the point of an interview, I think even now, even though she's been astronomically famous since she was, what, 19? Yeah. I think there's there's still something in her head where she's like, I don't even know why you guys care. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. Which is so funny because I think personality-wise and sort of armchair psychologist-wise, there is a, a facet about her that commands attention. That's, you know, even from a little kid, and we're going we're gonna to get into it. Sorry, Louie, I know we're stepping all over your rewind. But even as a little kid, she was like, you know, she said she would boss her mother around or she, you know, she would tell her how to do her hair or whatnot. Not that she, no, she taught, she taught her mother how to smoke cigarettes. It would like, I remember being 10 years old and teaching her how to smoke. I didn't know how to smoke really, but my mother looked funny if she tried. And I said, no, no, it has to go sort of like that, you know, and I had no discipline. And I think that there is a, a quality about her um, that, and I don't think it's a bad thing. And I know she's been sort of labeled as difficult or bossy or whatnot, but I think there is this force within her that's just like, okay, spotlight on me, mm-hmm. let's go. And also, and it is worth also acknowledging, I'm going to assume that's also an intensely gendered Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Criticism. <laughs> I know. So Barbara Jones Streisand was born April 24th, just four days before me, um, in 1942, just... A lot of years before me uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And which is also another funny thing, because when I think of Barbara, she is not the like repping Brooklyn girl. She never is that girl. Like, and you will, as we get into it, um, she's very much like, fuck Brooklyn. I want to get out of here forever. Like the first time she performed in Brooklyn was like in 2007 or something. So she was the daughter of Diana and Emmanuel. Um, her mom was like kind of a singer, but she was, um, she kind of gave up on her, uh, her dreams of being a singer and was a school secretary. She met um, her would be husband at the same high school where he was a teacher. If you didn't know, they're a very Jewish family. Her father passed away when she was like a one year old. Like she was an infant when he died. Um, and it was from like a seizure. Um, the family was very poor. A mom was working hard to kind of keep them all together. Um, but essentially Barbara has said many times she felt like an outcast. She felt like, you know, she, she want, she knew she wanted to be somebody. She wanted to get out of Brooklyn. She wanted to be a star. She kind of, she wanted to be an actress really. But, um, you know, she started doing like school pageants and singing stuff and people like kind of knew her on the block. Well, when I was five years old. You know, the girls in the neighborhood, we would sit on the stoop in Brooklyn and sing. And I, that was my identity, actually, the girl with the good voice. It was the girl with no father and the good voice. 
that was that was who I was. And she really grew up in the shadow of this father who had died because, you know, everybody would tell her, you know, he was he was like a scholar and he was really smart. And he was a generous man. And and so it's certainly, I think, something that shaped uh, a longing in her for, you know, this this father she never knew and never had. Yeah. yeah. And also and there has to also be an element of this really quickly to say when you also don't grow up around the parent that you look like, which I will just also say is is my experience there is something also very i think informing about looking around your family and not being able to really see yourself reflected in someone else's eyes Mm -hmm. that's a that's a really astute point yeah Yeah. and i mean and she like hates kind of talking about it you know like and and she's not you know one to like be like oh you know she's not overflowing with emotion about it even though you kind of like track that through her art by the time she was nine she was already auditioning um you know for mgm records she was trying to like you know prove that she could be the star and her mom was like no like don't do this and which just fueled her even more to like she wanted to prove her wrong like i what i am gonna make it her first play she ever saw on broadway was the diary of anne frank and that is i mean uh, like leap a million years ahead and like the first movie she directs is yentl like it's she is so her culture and her jewishness is so essential to her career and to her life um yes but that I'm so, we have to also say that story of why she also was inspired by that is because she literally watched the Diary of Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. I think Barbara Streisand was 14. Yep. And then she goes, "I could do that." Yeah. Yep. I'm Jewish. Yes. That's literally what she said. I'm Jewish. <laughs> I could do that. Yeah. So she um, was in choir in high school with Neil Diamond. Hello. Hello. <laughs> when she graduated, she was 16, and she said, "All right, mom, I'm fucking out of here. I'm going to Manhattan, and I'm going to." do it i am going to make it and she was doing random odd jobs um she was kind of homeless for a little while yeah she like started with a place and then she couldn't afford it and then yep. she was you know she was living with friends and she would go back home to her mom's for dinner and yeah, yeah. and then she kind of like to um get herself really close to the theater world she began like ushering at theaters she was working you know and, and there's a great interview where she's like i made sure no one could see my face because i didn't want them to later see me on stage and recognize me as the girl who was like you know handing out um flyers or whatever like taking people to their the seats programs. yeah the programs yeah wow in 1960 um she was an usher at the Lunch Fontaine Theater for The Sound of Music, and she heard that the casting director was auditioning for more singers. The casting director was like, oh, you can sing. Like, you should put that on your resume. She had just been going in to be an actress. Like, she hadn't been, like, going voice first, which is insane. Correct. Because, like, that's what is her golden ticket. And it, and it really was. Um, she had a boyfriend at the time, Barry Denon, and he was the one who was like, oh, shit. Like, let's record you. Let's, like, get going. And he is the one that uh, convinced her to... Uh, enter a talent contest at the Lion, which is yeah. a gay nightclub in Manhattan. Barry Denon, famous bisexual, bisexual representation, but that's oh. that's really what sort of ended up ruining their relationship. Um, we'll get into that after the talent show, though. <laughs> so mm. she performs two songs, and like, if you could imagine, the room full of queers are just like stunned. Like they're all like Gagatrandra, very Gagatrandra. Um, and she won. She won the talent contest, and she, at this moment, is starting to build up, you know, this downtown uh, cabaret life and career. I entered a talent contest at a little 
a little joint. Mm-hmm. Where was this engagement? It was at a little place called The Lion in Greenwich Village. Mm-hmm. Are you a New York uh, girl? Yes. Mm-hmm. Didn't you work one of the big clubs there, though? Uh... Yes, well, from there I went to the Bonsoir. And that's where I was for 11 weeks in my first professional engagement. And she is a child, you know? She yeah. is still a teenager. She's invited back a lot to sing there. Um, and this is also the time when she decides to change her name. Um, she was getting a lot of pressure from people to change her name, really. I think she says Joni Sands was one of the suggestions. And she yes. and she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but she decides just to drop the A from Barbara, the second A, if you will. Um, she said, I want it to be unique, but I didn't want to be fake. I want it to be authentically me. It wasn't just her name that people would tell her to change about herself. And obviously, a lot of this comes in later. But even early on, people were like... You should get a nose job. You yep. should. You should and, get your teeth capped. Like if I could have ex- taken off a quarter of a millimeter over here and just twisted a little there, <laughs> but I, I don't trust that I would come out maybe looking like a funny, you know, nose job, which is worse than what you had. No, I, I, I actually like my nose. It's a little big, but you can't have everything. <laughs> I always like to say we're not really going to talk about somebody's looks, but like we, we just can't help it uh it feels like everybody she goes through life having a lot of people basically telling her she's ugly which i cannot fathom <laughs> because she's, she's beautiful. stunningly beautiful yeah, Stunning. she's stunningly Absolutely beautiful. beautiful she's striking mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. she is really striking in the same way do you know who actually i think particularly when this is true when they were younger you know who she looks a lot alike this person i'm about to mention who by the way started her career off as a model angelica houston wow. yeah 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 they look very similar. They have they have very defined and prominent noses, a very similar face shape, eyes, bone structure. Mm-hmm. But isn't it interesting? I also can't help but wonder if an element of that is also like, well, Angelica Houston gets to look like that. Like I do wonder, frankly, if it's if it's totally anti-Semitic in some well, way. Well, so yeah, oh, totally, definitely. totally. Like <laughs> I think when uh, you know I was listening to uh, my friend David Odyssey's podcast, and he just did the. Um, the astrology of Barbara mm. and he is Jewish and he had another Jewish friend on and they were talking. And, and I think like, I, I've seen a lot of interviews where like at this time, you know, being Jewish was still like an ethnic minority, you know, like, I think it's kind of hard to even fathom that conversation like today, especially, you know, but like it was, well, it would have, yeah. By the time her career was up and running, I mean, this was only what 20 some odd years after the wrapping up of world war two. I yeah, mean, this is, yeah. You know, the Holocaust for so many was a very recent thing, right? And the vestiges of that certainly were not gone. Right. And so having her with this name, with that face, um, was kind of exoticized. It was, you know, um, but her voice just like rocked the fucking city. This is also where she develops her signature style, uh, which was brought on by another gay friend of hers uh, whose name was Bob. And if I could remember his last name, someone's going to correct me, whatever. We'll we'll get a comment about Someone's it. Someone's screaming yeah. at the podcast Abs- right now. Absolutely. They're like, it's Mac. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Kidding. Imagine. If, if Imagine only. that was who you couldn't remember. Um, <laughs> but, but he like gave her her signature style, which was two pairs of fake eyelashes, the 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 points on the sides of her eyes, the cat eyes, the cat yeah. eyes and the fingernails. Mm. And those become trademarks for her. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, like she always has long fingernails. It's great. That, I will say that fingernail thing is maybe not true. The genesis of that is actually because my understanding 
Barbara has said the reason she grew out her fingernails was because her mother wanted her to become a typist. She wanted her to be a secretary. Oh, really? Yeah. And work and work in the education system. And then, so her whole thing was like, well, but if I grew my nails long, then I couldn't type. Drama. Either way, I love both those stories. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take it up with William J. Mann, who wrote Hello Gorgeous. <laughs> um, both. So at this time, though, she's... She gets to a kind of like a fancier club, the Bonsoir nightclub. Um, she's getting paid. It's like a professional, you know, gig. She's doing, she's the opening act for, excuse me, Phyllis Diller. Um, Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah. And she, like, she had never been to a nightclub until she was like hired to perform there. She starts listening to Billie Holiday, Ethel Waters, Edith Piaf. She's learning because again, remember, she is a child. She also is realizing that people kind of like her sassy Brooklyn you know, banter, the witty parte that you literally just like, when you, we get to Funny Girl, when we get to, you know, uh, her, her early, I mean, a lot of her career, really, all of her movies, she is that girl. She is the one given mm-hmm. the like, hello, gorgeous. Like that, she she realizes this is a personality that I can exploit. And um, it's like, it's her at the, it's her at the concert for George McGovern going like, if I'd known there'd be so many people on either side of me, I would have had my nose fixed. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's that kind yeah. of, it's that kind of like, you know. Literally. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's really brilliant about this time too, is that she really starts to, to push like what she would, what people would consider her exoticness. Like mm-hmm. she um, actually went for a period of time to perform in Detroit. Right. And while she was there, she claimed that she was born in Turkey because she she was like, whatever, it doesn't matter what people say about me as long as they keep coming to the show. You see, the point was, it, it, in those days, everybody said they were a member of the actor's studio. Right. And uh, everything was so sort of pompous and serious. And I was playing a Jewish secretary. So to say in my, in my uh, bio that I was, you know, from Brooklyn, I grew up in Flatbush, meant nothing. I thought if they thought that I came from Madagascar, reared right. in Rangoon, I changed it. The next playbill said I went to the, uh, I was born in Aruba and went to the yeshiva of Brooklyn. <laughs> but, and I said, and my last line was, I am not a member of the actor studio. She'd incorporate a lot of Yiddish in between her sets. You know, she'd be like, how do you like my shmada? And, and stuff like that. And and a lot of that really endeared her to people. Uh, some people referred to her as, you know, the voice of an angel and the style of Groucho Marx. That Incredible. is very funny. That's amazing. She, so she's 20 years old now. She's been working the circuit of New York City. She's been on The Tonight Show a couple times. Her first TV appearance, it was on The Tonight Show with Jack Parr. But Orson Bean was the substitute host. Right. And actually, her agent at the time, who was busy stealing her, her agent at the time, who's actually still currently her agent, was busy stealing her from her previous agent, um, got her on by basically being like, hey, Orson Bean, I have this girl, you know, why don't, why don't you bring her on? She performs uh, Sleeping Bee, and she then goes over and talks with them, and it's her and Phyllis Diller again. Yes, and, yes. And it's so, the the banter, obviously she's very nervous, but the banter is so funny, the repartee back and forth. And it's just very clear from her very first appearance, like, she's got it. Actually, he clothed me, you see. I'm clothed by the Robinson Furniture Company in Detroit. Oh, You're clothed by the Robinson Furniture? <laughs> That's a beautiful chair you have on there. I'm the original Castro convertible, movable car. <laughs> No, really, the first dress I wore is upholstery material, you see, and he's, he gives it to me. Is that upholstery material you have on there This now? one is not. No, no, that's this one Oh, that other dress, the red one. <laughs> oh. You're all heart, Philip. Uh, you're right, that's why I'm shaped this way. <laughs> Thanks for feeding me the line, sweetie. She was already full of it. She was ready. Yeah, yeah, she would have killed a snatch game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 
you know, I'm, I'm moving forward a little bit, um, but she, uh, her big kind of Broadway break is she um, auditions for a new musical um, called I Can Get It For You Wholesale. And she meets Elliot Gould, who's playing the, uh, the lead. Um, pictures of Elliot Gould I know. when he was younger. Jesus Christ. Literally of- hit me with your car. Yeah. Like, truly. <laughs> um, he so so fucking smooth by the way too he called her after the first rehearsal just to tell her how great she was and she assumed that this was something that he was doing with everybody so she asked later and they were like no no what? no <laughs> what? He, he, <laughs> no he just wants you you he wants that, to fuck yeah, you yeah. yeah hi you're sorry you, you both are like extremely sexy jewish people yes. he yes. wants to fuck yeah, you exactly. like you're amazing yeah the show opens to rave reviews um you know, reviews are just like, she stopped the show. She is like the boom, boom gun. Um, and she's 20 years old and she is already extremely successful on Broadway. Um, she gets a Tony nomination and she also records the album for it. Uh, she's on her way. Um, so yeah, she does the tonight show. She does another evening with Harry Stoons. She's doing a lot of just, you know, the circuit. Uh, She's doing, yeah, a lot of one-off TV appearances, yeah. sort of getting her profile out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I, so, think, I think she does, she ends up doing The Tonight Show um, nine times or ten times in one yeah. year, yeah, which is so much. <laughs> yeah, she does the Ed Sullivan show. It she When she does Ed Sullivan, she meets Liberace. Liberace's like, girl, come to Vegas, let's yeah. have a ball. And it's because of that the west coast discovers barbara you know she starts doing shows out there i mean if you can imagine just like imagine being barbara 2021 <laughs> with your with your hot elliot gould in las vegas uh, it's i mean my god one of my favorite stories she tells is um going on the judy garland show mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and the thing i think it was on the rosie o'donnell show of all places but the thing that she says is that you know right before they went on Judy Garland was like, I'm so nervous. It reminded me of, of when I was with Judy Garland. But Judy, what I remember about Judy, and I admired her tremendously. She was brilliant and kind. And, you know, she was grabbing onto my hand with cold, cold hands because she was frightened. And really? I, I wasn't frightened when I was 21. No. I'm more frightened now. Really? the truth. Yeah, there's more to live up to. You know, how do I fulfill your fantasy of me? Barbara Streisand is someone who, of course, notoriously for the bulk of her career, you know, really ever since, you know, this onset incident of forgetting lyrics in 1968 in Central Park, you know, she really has been largely crippled by stage fright the bulk of her life, you know, certainly up until she started touring again in 1994. But when she was younger, she was like, I was all vim and vinegar. And I was just like, get me out there. Mm -hmm. And and I I can't remember if this if what she recounted about this event was sort of what she was picking up from the subtext or if there was, or if Judy Garland did explicitly say this to her, but basically Judy Garland trying to communicate, like, do not let them do to you what they did to me. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, and there's such, it's so funny. Like in that one television appearance, it feels like such a passing of the torch. Doesn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. There's, there's nothing more special than being like at a queer nightclub and they and they start playing that moment, you know. The, like I've been at mm-hmm. many like bars, and like gays are like two drinks in. They play Judy and Barb singing, and everyone's just like, "Oh my god!" Like it's there's something spiritual about it, you know. Shout hallelujah! So let's tell the world and just get happy about it now. We're happy days. 
so you know it's mid 60s she has her first album come out it's it wins three grammys you know she and this is literally all before she even we're not even touching film yet she has not right. made a movie yet and that and that's no. exactly what you said earlier singing is a means to an end for her mm-hmm. as she said several times she she sang just so that she could act. Yes. She is the actor who sings. That was always her, her MO. Yes. I didn't necessarily want to be a singer. I did want to be an actress. I became a singer because I could never get work as an actress. So here we go. 1964. Fanny Bryce. Funny girl. Hello. Wintergard. Wintergard. Like, it, it's... <laughs> she... This, this, this Broadway show, which is... You know, she's playing. Fanny Bryce was a real actress, uh, a comedian kind, and, and I think Barbara finds kinship in this, and in, in this role, in this in uh, this character. Um, and the show is a massive, huge, huge hit. Like it is, yeah. Undeniable. And it's a show that really was really kind of in development for quite a while. I'm sure you both know this in your research, but yeah. it was something. It was originally, you know, who's going to be in it as Fanny Bryce was in Bancroft. Wow. And they were like, this just isn't it. Like, this just isn't it. And so they kind of kept tabling it and tabling it and tabling it. And this was a show that was really, I think, being worked on for a while. And, you know, of course, you know, flash forward, you know, when she's doing the film, you know, one of the things she recounts finally, you know, when she's, you know, winning her Oscar, not to bury the lead here, but, you know, she's like, she does say like, I'm so glad it took so long for them to get it right. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's like then she, it was sort of like this incredible, like, it was the perfect opportunity, the perfect like moment, perfect timing in 1964 that, you know, she'd be on the scene and they were, they were looking for her basically. Right. And I think that like, is a very, uh, you'll see that a lot through her career. Like she, she's been wanting to like make this gypsy movie forever, but like, if it's not right, it's not right. And she's not going to do right. it. Like I was, I was just going to say, I think that that's the lesson she learned too. And that's what another one of those things that people think is her being difficult, but she doesn't want to, leap headfirst in anything that no. she's not comfortable with she wants we should also you know, say a big part of the gypsy movie not moving forward is because i believe for years and years arthur lawrence yeah. would not give her the rights yeah so, i mean right yeah you know. but, and that's she because. killed him so <laughs> so you know she took a hit out and said yeah. listen i i will play mama rose before i die you son of a bitch exactly and that's the thing, that was the like, last thing he said and she's like <laughs> yeah. if i'm not in control we're not gonna do it like i know exactly what it needs to be and like that's that um okay just a quick PS aside, she mm. she has this incredible singing career. She does specials for TV. There's a lot going on in the singing world. I'm not going to get too much into it. You all know she's an amazing singer. Um, we will talk about that as it pertains to film. Um, <laughs> so now it's 1968, and the Funny Girl movie is out. It's her debut she she is such a fucking star already that the president of the academy lets her have um membership before the movie is even out um <laughs> oh i didn't know that oh isn't that funny yeah and the gag is so you know funny girl is a huge hit the movie is incredible uh it's the hello gorgeous it's the wink wink nod nod um directed by uh william wyler who she was adored yeah, I was, I was just going to say the the greatest thing that she sort of picks up um, on it, too, is that, you know, she works really closely with William Wyler and she works really closely with Harry Stradling Sr., 
who's the cinematographer, and they teach her about lighting. They teach her about, you know, hitting her marks and catching her light and really... Well, they teach her that because she also insists on learning. Well, yes, exactly, too. And that's that's the thing. is It wasn't like they weren't just like, oh, here's some free advice. She, you know, she's absorbing and, and she becomes lifelong friends with these people. And she also says that they're the ones that originally, initially encouraged her to direct. William Myler, when they wrapped Funny Girl, as like, as a, as a rap gift for filming basically gave her a megaphone wow <laughs> sort of as sort of as a, as a token to be like you know like you'll you will be in this position one yeah day. we've talked about william wyler before and though we've never done like a william wyler episode you know this man directed the heiress and roman holiday and how to steal a million and the children's hour so when you look at funny girl which ends up being his second to last film this is a very different type of movie because he does, even though I, How to Steal Millions is a little bit of an outlier too because it's sort of broad, but he does a lot more grounded, a lot more character studies. And I think that's what makes Funny Girl so enduring in its legacy besides the barber of it all, which clearly is like 90% of it. But the other 10% mm -hmm. is that it is unlike any of the other big blockbuster musicals at that time. Mm -hmm. These sort of showcasey roadshow movies with their intermissions, and but she brings such a grounding earthiness to it, mm -hmm. and he does as well. That it doesn't feel as artificial. And also, I love the use of voiceover in some of the singing as well. Yes, too. yes, it's, it's a really unique, really beautiful film. I'd seen it before. I rewatched it for this, and I really just think it holds up. Um, yeah, I, totally. I really highly recommend it does. Funny Girl. Omar Sharif and her. That's, that's oh my god, fuck it. the Omar Sharif of it all. And, and honestly, like that's magic, oh my, babe. That's magic. Yeah. You know, Gorgeous you know what I sometimes still just quote to myself, and it's not even like one of the definitive lines of that movie, but it's just Omar Sharif's line of, ah, a little bit of starch. <laughs> Whoever washes your shirt, tell them to put a little starch in the last rinse. That way, it won't go so limp. Oh, a little starch in the last rinse. Thank you. I won't forget. Nikki on steam, Nikki on steam. I'll never see him again. That year, there was a tie for Best Actress. She ties with Catherine, Catherine Hepburn. As I mentioned before, the Academy allows her to vote. At the time, you had to have already made your film debut and have a three-year waiting period to get an actual vote. And this is, I'm getting this from the Be Kind Rewind YouTube um, channel, which is incredible. That She does a whole video about this. But essentially, she presumes, I'm assuming that Barbara voted for herself. And so if she did, she is the tie vote. <gasps> oh my God. Yes. If if the Academy wow. had not let her in and played by the rules and said, okay, Barbara, you're going to have to wait your three years. Catherine would have won and Barbara would not have won for Funny Girl. Isn't that a gag? Oh, <laughs> can I tell you something? That legitimately, that actually did break my brain. That's, a, that's the goop right there. That's a gag. Oh. It's a gag. Because, you know, the, the story, the drama of this was her debut. This was like the new girl on the block. 
up against Catherine Hepburn, who was like, you know, kind of t- taking her, like she was uh, older in age. She was like, you know, Hollywood yeah. royalty by that she point. She was already like yes. an elder stateswoman yes. of the film, yes. Hollywood film. Yes, of course. And, and I could just hear Barbara right now, you know, if Catherine yeah. Hepburn's so good, why is she dead? <laughs> but okay, but also there, there is an interview with Barbara and she's like, oh my goodness, yes, Catherine. I, I, I think I, I probably voted for her. I was like, bitch, no, you didn't. Like, you're, <laughs> you're 25 and nominated for an Oscar. You voted for yourself and I would too like oh yeah 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 I, I do love that this whole episode has just been a vehicle for all three of us to do our barber impressions <laughs> uh, well and then after the, and then at the end of this episode the audience will vote yes, and, yes exactly. and, um, one of us will have to leave the island well it's like um somebody once said to me uh, asked me if i was happy and i uh i said are you kidding i'd be miserable if i was happy and uh I'd like to thank all the members of, of the Academy for uh, making me really miserable. <laughs> thank you. Moving on, she does two more uh, musicals. She does Hello, Dolly, which is kind of a flop and is... Um, it, you- it's so funny because Hello, Dolly is sort of the opposite of everything I was talking about. I really like Hello, Dolly, so like I'm not talking out of school, but it is... It's the epitome of that old style musical. Yeah. It's just not what the audiences are looking for right. in the late sixties. And Barbara early her 70s. said said that and Barbara has said herself, she was like, I was miscast. She's yeah. like, I was way too young. Yep. She's like, I was way too young. Which bumps me out because she is I agree. I agree with her. She's so good as Dolly Levi, though. She really she is. is. She's totally yeah. yeah. Yep. And and her her performance totally influenced by Mae West. Oh yeah. 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 Totally. Um, yeah. The next thing she does is on a clear day you can see forever, which I watched for the first time and <laughs> is maybe the most fucking crazy movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I could not believe. I w- Cut to me googling on a clear day you can see forever. I was like, oh, this was an actual show. Yeah. Yes, it was. I I sent you a text. I think the Barbara fr- Harris originated it on Broadway. Did she really? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. The um. I sent you a text, I think, on the on the day we started watching stuff, and I was like, I just watched on a clear day, you can see forever. Was not aware that it's a musical about yes. past lives. Yes. And you were yes. like, what? Yes. <laughs> um, and and please uh, correct me right away. Is that Vincent Minnelli directing? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It and, is. And okay. what's nuts, too, about the, the show versus the film is that they cut, like, 10 songs yeah. from the show. Totally. And totally. they added Jack Nicholson's character, who's a complete fiction right. for the film. Right. Uh, oh, he's in that movie? Yes. Yeah. He's he plays her here, stepbrother, yeah, step but also uh, yeah. love interest. I was going to say, thank you for correcting me because I almost said brother, but yes, stepbrother. Stepbrother, but like, wow. and it's not even like subtext love interest. It's literally, he's like, I want to marry her. Yeah. I'm her stepbrother. <laughs> and it's like, what? Um, so gag, I did not like that movie. It's fucking weird, and I don't think she's good in it, honestly. Yeah, it's, but the, I will say the the opening song, like, I'm, but it's her and she's yeah. singing. So yeah. like, I I got that, uh, but I agree. Not and no chemistry with the no, no, with no, the no, lead. No, no. The uh, very French. Uh, cannot think of the actor's name at this time, which somebody will yell at me for. But um, but yeah, <laughs> just say Gerard Depardieu. It was Gerard Depardieu, yeah, yeah, very yeah. young. Um, yeah, four year old Gerard Depardieu. It was four-year-old Jean Dujardin. Um, yeah. yeah. Her next show is also based on a show, but it's based on a play. It's The Owl and the Pussycat, which, you know, 
I am not here shaming, you know, sex workers at all, like, live your truth. But the Owl and the Pussycat, to me, just feels like the most nonsense movie I've ever fucking seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it's, and so let's, let's, let's already put this down in my column. She often will play the annoying girl. That's her thing. Yeah. She's going to annoy you. She's going to be like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, what are you doing in my house? Like a lot of that going on throughout many of her films. And I think the key to her, like in Funny Girl, she does that a lot. But the, she's able to imbue charm. And sh- and I think also when people are, I don't know, not fucking sexist, it works. Um, I think that Alan the Pussycat's just really fucking sexist and like weird. And I didn't. Not for me. I mean, it's worth mentioning that, yeah, the play when it debuted on Broadway, I believe debuted, I I believe it was the same year, actually, Funny Girl debuted in theaters. I believe The Elm of Pussycat debuted in maybe... 64. 1968. Oh, it was 64. So it was actually, so it was on, it was part of the New York scene, actually, at the same time Funny Girl was on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was um, Alan Alda who was in that play and Diana Sands. And this was a big deal because also it was... It was a white man and a black woman. Yes, mm. and that was not a component of the play's uh, plot. It was. It was. It was actually, and that was the big deal. It was like it was like, oh no, these are just two actors who are playing. Yeah, roles. The, and that was. I think the 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 play as written does not specify race. It doesn't make any indication, and and therefore, yeah, it doesn't. And it's funny when Barbara was cast, she pushed really hard for Sidney Poitier to play the George Siegel role, and they were like, Middle America is not going to accept an interracial couple. Which is so funny because, of course, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner would have already come out. Right, yeah. right. Hello. Isn't that funny? Hello. Also with Sydney Poitier. And so, but it's it's interesting. I I mean, I find myself with movies like this. I almost try to imbue my viewing of it with the thickest, most defined grain of salt. Mm. Does it hold up now in terms of sort of where we culturally are in this moment? No. And actually where we culturally have been for a very long time? No, but in watching it, what I am able to appreciate, I actually, I, I think she and George Siegel are quite charming in it together. I, I think and there he's great. Is, and there is an element also in this movie, which is such a through line through so many of her movies, because there is a scene where, you know, she's sitting down with George Siegel. And I think it's kind of towards the end of the film. And she basically says like, look what I'm able to do with my face. I can, I, I can, I can make myself look like one of those pretty girls. You think I'm pretty? Yes. Well, not really. I just make you think I am. How do you do that? It's a trick. It's it's um it's hard to explain. I don't understand. Well, uh, it's it's kind of like acting, you know. I mean, you gotta act pretty. And she basically she takes her hand and she covers half of her face and she kind of shows a very defined sort of profile of and sort of she almost like she muscles her face to kind of like look a certain way and it is again it's just a very interesting through line of I think how she feels about herself versus how she's been made to feel about herself showing up in one of the roles that she's chosen I just think that character specifically is not suited for her because it is so shrieking it is so shrill it it can become quite shrill yeah it's I mean to the point of, as a viewer, being like, I cannot believe she's in this apartment. Like, when they go to, like, her his brother's apartment or whatever, and they're yelling at the top of their lungs. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. It's like, bitch, I would have fucking 
murder. I, I also was not a huge fan of the movie, but I just really wanted George Siegel to end up being gay. I was like, he's so mm. cute. He's so cute. <laughs> he's so cute. R.I.P. George Siegel. Yeah. So 72, she does What's Up Doc, um, which is a screwball comedy. Um, and it is just, I don't know, the most fun ever. Um, Ryan O'Neill is, I don't know, the hottest man alive. Yeah, it's, it sucks that he's awful in real life. Yeah, because I figured. So, yeah, but um, I love, oh, I love like, What's Up Doc because uh, she's literally, she's Bugs Bunny. And, and yes. I, I know like the whole concept is that it's a screw, you know, it's a flashback to screwball comedy and it's very uh bringing a baby and it's got all yes but it's so smartly directed in the way that it handles Bogdanovich. Oh, yeah. Bogdanovich handles his characters and it, he's not always great when it comes up but when he is when he fires on all cylinders he gets those characters right he gets the setups right the scene where they're going down the hill Stop. in san francisco and the, and the glass walking back and forth and i've seen that done a billion and one different ways, and this was still the most clever way I've ever seen it in a film. Yeah, I I couldn't believe as I was watching, I'd never seen this movie before, um, and I was like, "How does this feel so modern and so fresh? It's so so good." Like Ocean's Eleven wishes, like this <laughs> Bogdanovich popped off with this movie. Um, she 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 sings a little bit in it. She's really fucking funny in it. Again, she's annoying girl. She is annoying girl who's pestering, but she's so good and she is able to cut that with just this. It's because she is a natural comedian. Yes. Yeah. That is yes. why. It's because she knows how to find the ebb and flow of the comedic beats of a story. Yeah. It's funny to, to bring it back to the people that have listened to all of our shows. In our Cary Grant episode, we talked about bringing up Baby. And mm-hmm. I remember, Louis, you were very like, I couldn't believe. Oh, Ka- yeah, you were like, Catherine Hepburn's so annoying and whatnot. And it's like, but that's what she's doing here. Yes. Even though she's she's really sort of more, like, she, I think she said she based it more on like Carol Lombard and whatnot. But I think, I you know, she does it so well. Yeah. It's a superpower and, because, and, yeah. that's, it's the, and that's the gag. How can you be this annoying girl, but still make me like you so much? And I think when she's able to do that, um, and I, honestly, I think it's because the writing is smarter. Um, they're giving her more space to breathe. Like, sh- she's able to pull that off. Um, yeah, love What's Up, Doc? Um, it's around this time she decides she's going to produce her own shit. She just, like, this, she's like, I'm going to start, you know, working on my own things that I want to do. Um, she sets up Barwood Films in 1972. And the first thing she wants to do uh, is Up the Sandbox, which is a movie that didn't do well, but also is a really, I would say, probably a really fucking hard sell in 1972, right? Yeah. Like, this is a movie about a woman who wants more and maybe wants an abortion and maybe... Uh, yeah, well, and we should also say from the storytelling perspective, I should say Up the Sandbox is a movie I've, I've seen several years ago, but... So the the actual mechanics and details of the film are not as vivid. However, the thing that is true about this movie in terms of how it's told is that it really is kind of like a series of vignettes almost. Yep. Yeah. Kind of, and it's all being threaded together. And so even just in terms of how the film's laid out structurally, yes, you're absolutely right. It's not an easy sell at all. No. And and most of the vignettes are fantasy. Yep. Like there there's her yes. everyday to day life where she has two kids. She's recently pregnant with a third. Her husband is uh, a man who works all the time and has been spending a lot of time out of the home. And, you know, she's going to the park with kids. She's going to lunch with friends. But it's not glamorous. It's a stay-at-home mom 
sort of situation. And so she envelops herself in this uh, fantasy world that comes up in, in a myriad of ways. And my favorite one is actually the very first fantasy. Yeah, fantasy. me too. Yeah. We, and it's so funny. Louis and I, when we were both looking for this movie, we both found the same exact copy with um with uh, commentary. It, yeah, it was the Barbara Streisand commentary like voiceover. And and she was so astute about the scene because essentially the, the first fantasy is she um, talks to her husband's assistant and her husband's assistant is like, I, you know, I'm having an affair with your husband. It doesn't really mean anything. Like, he loves you. He says such nice things about you. But also, like, we work together so much. And, like, and in the commentary, she's so astute. She's like, you know what? People don't ever have two women talk on screen together. And I love that the content of Mm. what is being said versus the idea that Barbara was just like, I just wanted women to be honest with each other on screen in a way that I had not seen before. Yeah. You realize that he's my husband and that he's the father of my children and he's all we have. Oh, Mrs. Reynolds, you needn't worry about Paul. He loves you very much. He told me. He told you? Yes, he did. He worships you. Do you mean that? (sighs) Thank you. It's also one of the earliest signs of uh, this idea of her being a diva being dispelled because, you know, immediately when they were shooting that film, there were apparently very visible problems in the script as they were filming it. And no one wanted to tell Barbara because they were like, if someone draws her attention to that, maybe she's going to get angry and blah, blah, blah. And I can't remember if it was the director or if it was someone else involved yeah, in the it was, film. It was they Urban just, Kirshner. Yeah. Who's, who said, like, you know, there are problems here. And there, and she just was very, like, a team player. She's like, okay, well, then let's fix it. Yeah. he Like, he, let's, let's, let's try and work it out. He flat out told her. He's like, your people told me not to tell you that right. I that I perceived problems. And she was like, that's ridiculous. If there's problems, we should fix it. And then he, you know, like what, seven years later goes on to work with the big diva Darth Vader. So it's the same, same thing. D- diva, diva, diva. What happens next after um up in the sandbox? Oh, I mean, God, we talked about this movie in our Robert Redford episode, 1973 is the way we were. Uh, oh, gorge, 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 gorge. Yeah. I want to say this. Two people have never mm. been more attractive in a movie yes. than Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford mm. in The Way We Were. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yep. Also another example of like Barbara feeling like she's the smart and talented, but not as one of the pretty girls. Yep. And here she feels like, oh my God, I'm with like this golden retriever of a man. Mm-hmm. Like how is this even possible? This all American yep. God. Oh my god! Yeah, it's so. Oh my god! It's so good. I I remember watching this for the Rob Redford episode and being just like swept away. This is a movie yeah. that is yes. like wraps you up and just like takes you on this romantic voyage across time and space of uh, of emotions and uh pers- like their per- their personalities like you know jobs. It's a it's a very adult movie, but like it's such a human movie, you know. 
And you would think on paper, not an easy sell either. No. Because if you actually break down the elements of that movie, it's like- Political. Well, it's a love it's a love story that's a drama that's also political. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But it's not, it's it's small P political. It's not capital P right, political. Right, right, right. And it's very much about how I think the political current of the world sort of seeps into people's lives and then does really affect people's relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the only negative thing I will say about the film um, comes from the fact that apparently Arthur Lawrence wrote Katie Morowski's character as the central character, and it was Sidney Pollock who decided to beef up Redford's role and really make oh, it a two hander. Hmm. And he like apparently kept Arthur Lawrence away <laughs> from <laughs> Robert Redford, so like they they wouldn't be able to communicate about this character, which. I still think the movie's fantastic. I don't think it really hurts the movie at all, but I do think it's interesting that there is a version of this film that Arthur Lawrence was like, we need a Jewish American hero, mm. a, a, a female Jewish American hero that we, we've never seen before on film. And unfortunately, it's gone. But, but you know something, except for to say, I think it's really good that the Robert Redford, I mean, it's, I suppose I'm, it's impossible for me not to speak from a bias because we only know the movie as it exists and the movie right. as it exists is wonderful. But... It actually, if you think about it, is a very interesting look at privilege because what she also discusses and says to Robert Redford's character, and and I'm not going to be able to deliver a verbatim quote, but basically this idea of like, and I think this is also something that really landed with Robert Redford as a person, is this idea that like, you are someone who the world I think just, we think is just given everything. And, and here you are, this person who doesn't really try and actually, even are not trying, you're this like incredible writer and you've kind of just had things given to you in a way. And what does that, and do you not know what it actually feels like to really work for something yeah. and fight for something, yeah. right? Like, and then of course, coming from her where, you know, one of the first things, one of the first sequences we see in the film is of course her trying to sort of conduct this like speech, this kind of rally happening right, in the school. Right. And, you know, I think actually the film really does benefit from that sort of dual point of view, I suppose, and that back and forth. Because really where those characters come from in their lives, it's like, where one per- character zigs, the other one so perfectly zags. Yeah, absolutely. But like also having that like st- the love that like kind of is able to um, abridge, you know, those zigs and zags. Why can't I have you? Why? Because you push too hard every damn minute. I mean, we don't. <laughs> There's no time ever to just relax and enjoy living. Everything's too serious to be so serious. If I push too hard, it's because I want things to be better. I want us to be better. I want you to be better. Sure, I make waves. I mean, you have to, and I'll keep making them until you're every wonderful thing you should be and will be. You'll never find anyone as good for you as I am to believe in you as much as I do or love you as much. I know that. Well, then why? Moving forward, we have 1974, for Pete's sake, which is meh. Uh, Except for to say, just really quickly, but she is very funny in it. Uh, yeah, like she, the clips that I've seen, she is very funny. The 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 she has the best line in the movie. There's a scene where a bunch of cows get loose yes. in Brooklyn, and she's like, "You won't know where you're going." <laughs> it's Brooklyn. That is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Sorry, I just let out my Phyllis Diller laugh. But yes, that is very funny. Uh, 1975. I had no idea that there was a sequel to Funny Girl, but there in fact is. It's called Funny oh, yes. Lady. The first time I saw Funny Lady, I actually did a double feature of Funny Lady and and. Uh, funny girl and funny lady and i will say this and i know we're trying to breeze by things real quick but funny lady gets a bad rap it's not great no but Mm -hmm. it but it is better than it deserves to be the problem the number one problem is 
is her and James Caan do not have no. the chemistry Omar Sharif uh-huh. has. And he fucking shows up for a scene in the movie and it derails everything because you just keep thinking, wow, we had it so good. I mean, and here's the thing, though. So, funny? so like, here are the two things. Number one, funny lady ain't that funny. Like, yeah. all of her comedy is gone. But I think that's... Barbara did not want to make this movie at first. She was like, I would never do a sequel. But then when she got the script, she realized, oh, this is a woman who knows that the great love of her life is not going to work out. You know, it is is deeply sad. She decides to marry this guy, um, James Caan, who she does not love. But she has a fucking song in their honeymoon talking about, I don't need love. I need a friend. I need companionship. And you're right, Gavin. When Omar Sharif does come back and the whole thing is like he... He, he needed money. You know, he was a gambler. Yeah. He married a rich lady. And now coming back, he's like, I can divorce her and I'll be fine. I'll have enough money for both of us. Let's do the thing. And you so desperately want that. But because obviously Fanny Bryce, the character, and, and I think Barbara, she was like, no, this is going to be a tragedy. She is going yeah. to say, no, like this is not fucking okay. You can't just come in and demand that we're together now just because you have money again. And... The, the 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 fucking thing ends with her just kind of like life will go on i will keep singing and i'll be married to this guy who i don't love and that's it and so yeah. funny girl is so good because there are the she's younger she's bright she has those funny moments even though there is some heartbreak in there funny lady is just a full tragedy and so it's and on on top of that they try and recreate the great boat moment with like a fucking yeah. plane it's bad they try and recreate like the um the, the 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 ballet moment with like a aqua moment thing yeah it's oh, right, it, right. it's all very derivative and not as good but i will say that moment when he comes to her dressing room and he puts his hand on her shoulder and she sees the, the wedding ring, ring the ring oh my heartbreaking, god heartbreaking heartbreaking next like really really big thing in 1976 we have a stars born um which this would be the third remake of you know this classic story that you know has been told a million times. Um, she is like, this is going to be the feminist version of A Star is Born. I am going to take the reins. I'm going to inject the character of Esther is going to just be really in charge. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think the movie's great. Um, the uh, She got a lot of shit for it. The, the, the entire movie kind of like was critically savage, but it was really fucking popular. Like people love this movie. Um, when yeah. it came out. Well, the music is incredible. I think a big selling, a big sort of saving grace that film is the music. I, th- my understanding of sort of what ultimately sort of went afoul is uh, I think there was such a contentious relationship behind the scenes of people really not letting Barbara yes. have the kind of creative control that she wanted. Yep. And uh, it's very you know, clear on the screen. Well, yes. And and I also think, and this is where, and get ready, because this is where the gays are going to start to get angry with me. Okay. <laughs> I think it is actually the movie when I, anyway, and you can let me know how you both feel. I think it's the first movie where I start to feel like she's becoming self-conscious as an actor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, where, could, I could see it. But also, like, listen, this is the 70s, and so she wants to stay hip and current. She's trying out disco. Like, it, right. she she is trying to also, I think, she realized she didn't fit into the rock and roll mold, you know, and that was what was popular. She couldn't just mm-hmm. be doing covers and classics. She had to kind of bend to the times a little bit, but she also wanted to stay true to herself. And so you're totally right, Liam. Like, I, I think 
she wanted to say something, you know, when they get married, she talks about how she was like, I'm not gonna, you know, be your, your or you're not gonna be my master or whatever the, the line is. Um, she tries to inject this, like, uh, this feminist I- ideals to this movie, but in the end, I don't think it sticks to landing because she still is very much kind of like diminutive to him. She's very, you know, and I will yeah. say also the chemistry is hotter in still pictures than in the actual movie. I do not like this anymore. Please do it with me. Please do the tour with me. It would mean so much to me. Please do it with me. Hey. You're a child. You got a sweet little ass. But I ain't going to. Look, either you do this tour with me or goddammit, I won't do it. I'll stay home and bake bread and we'll get fat and our teeth will fall out. You're just great, Esther. Because you're so good in the kitchen. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and I, I love him, but I also think it's worth mentioning in terms of like the behind the scenes private life stuff you know in 71 she divorces elliot gould um they have a kid together jason gould who will go on to play her son in the prince of tides but you know she starts after a brief dalliance with canadian prime minister pierre yes. trudeau can you believe what the fuck Hello. Hello. <laughs> what the fuck my um, understanding is that it really was only one date oh okay okay um but i, I mean but still i mean if I, it's if i ever went on a date with barbara Streisand, it's literally the only thing i would talk it, about i was gonna say it's the only by the way this one time no question um but in 73 she starts a relationship with john peters who's a hairdresser but also a producer um he becomes uh, her manager and a producer with her and they start working together and and the other thing that i've heard is like he you know he's quite famously very brash and very like i want Mm. things my way and i'm sure that caused quite attention as well during the creation of a star is born since he was working on it with her yeah, I mean, she co-produced. I mean, in the credits, it says like her costumes are like provided by Miss Streisand. Like she oh, provided by Miss Streisand's wardrobe, by the yeah, way. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. But was John Peters also kind of the person who informed Warren Beatty's character in Shampoo? Yes, correct. Wow, that is correct. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the movie is like c- kind of bungled, but like commercially very successful. Yeah. You know, on her singing side of her career, she's popping off with Donna Summer like it's it's all good um 1979 she makes the main event which is her reteaming with Ryan O'Neill this movie sucks um let's talk about it later um in 1981 she does all night long which again kind of like a flop um yeah uh, all night long is a huge miscalculation because it's really meant to be this very small film and it's meant to be like a very Marilyn Monroe-esque thing and her yes um, yeah. it's weird and and that it, here's the thing I think both of these movies you know she's just coming off of this like I'm a woman feminism we're gonna do the thing and then in both of them she is playing women who largely don't have agency or if right. they do they are presented as such like what this might actual asshole on screen like how dare you stare at it like it's Mm -hmm. it's um it's so antithetical to the ethos that barbara uh publicly and personally was you know presenting and it feels just wrong it feels like you know why why is she here what is she doing um and also by this time ryan o'neill no just no but then she for the longest time was trying to get the movie Yentl made. 
Since like 1968. Yeah. Yeah. Every studio said no. And because she said, no, I want to not only star, I want to write, I want to direct, I want to produce, I want to do it all. And no one said yes until Orion Pictures said, fine, girl, we'll give you $14 million. Get to it. Also, such a hard sell where it's like, so you want to do a historical drama about like <laughs> Jewish people? Oh, but by the way, it's a musical. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that was actually ended up having to be part of the selling point because initially she was like, I want to do this historical drama about a woman who pretends to be a man in, in Jew, you know, in this conservative Jewish. And, and they were like, I don't know. And she's like, well, what if I sing? They were like, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know what? I forgot. Right, right, right. And they were like, OK, so. Yeah. You know, 1983 is when Yentl comes out, and, you know, no one had any expectations for Yentl. Um, and I think even today, like, people will say it's ridiculous, you know, clearly Yentl, she's pretending to be a boy, looks like Barbara, she looks like just like a gorgeous pixie yeah. haircut. But, but the movie, you know, she ends up getting tons of praise and accolades. And what's even wild, you know, as I was doing research, I realized, you know, people were not giving her her due for all the work she was doing. You know, they knew she directed, they knew she was acting in it, but people were like so hesitant to be like, oh yeah, she wrote, you know, or was part of the writing team that put Yentl together. Um, and it's really fucked up. And I think even going forward, as we see, you know, her movies that she's directing start getting lots and lots of nominations for lots of awards and, but n- never, you know, really giving her due for directing. Yeah, I want to say this about Yentl. It was when she was, I believe they filmed this, I believe in England, or it was, and it was also largely like a very English crew or anyway. The reason why England is sticking out is because I believe it was the entire cast and crew penned a letter to the British media. Mm. And basically they all co-signed on it saying like, we would like to just tell you how wonderful an experience it was to wow. work for Barbara Streisand. Wow. It was a pleasure to be directed by her. We thought she was an incredible person on set. Like, and we, they, it, this was all in the interest of dispelling, like, she, you know, she's awful. She's blah, 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 blah. And they wouldn't print it. Wow. And wow. they would not print it. Cause it's like, that's, cause it's bad news or, or it's not, it's not bad news. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't sell. And that also, it doesn't help to support the narrative that they want to push about. Right. Her, right. Right. I mean, in the end, none of that matters because according to the Academy Awards, it directed itself. Right. So. Right. She, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't get, you know, she doesn't get nominated for um, Best Picture, Actress or Director. Um, has five nominations, though. The music's gorgeous. Uh, Mandy Patinkin, famous curmudgeon, <laughs> you know, is so hot in this movie as well. Uh, oh, my God. Wait a minute. We. I'm sorry. No, wait. We have to talk about how fucking sexy he is in this yeah, movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sorry, that scene when he's skinny dipping, the uh-huh. way that Barbara <laughs> captures those moments where she basically, like, it's everything, it feels almost like a striptease, and it's like, shit, girl, yeah. like, you fucking nailed it. Oh, Avigdor. Fucking nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's, oh. it's genuinely uh, wonderful, and uh, it, it's so funny because I also think that she's really incorporating a lot of the stuff that she learned from William Wyler because, like I said, it initially wasn't a, a musical. So she's like incorporating the voiceover music numbers and and that sort of thing. And I don't know. I I, I think it's a perfect – it was the perfect way to, for her to begin her directing career. And it should also be noted when she f- showed the film to Steven Spielberg, he said famously, do not change a single frame. That's, That's amazing. Yeah. I mean – and 
I don't have it right in front of me, but she gets nominated for Best Director at the Golden Globes, right? Which was like the first. And wins. Yeah. And wins. And she wins. First woman to ever win a Best Directing prize at the Golden Globes. Right. This award um, is very meaningful to me. I'm very proud because it also represents, um, I hope, new opportunities for so many talented women. It's also a fascinating moment for her because, you know, you were talking earlier about, like, what does Barbara represent to people? And I think this is something that sort of is an element of her, I suppose, prestige and mystery, but it also, I think, is something that at times works against her because she's perceived as being the most ultimately polished together, perfect mm-hmm. person. Yeah. Whatever, whatever we've decided perfection means, right? But it's funny, in that moment, when she wins the Golden Globe, she's so visibly surprised. Mm. And you can re- you can really watch her trying to get her druthers together to try and really say something. And there actually are a few false starts in her speech because she keeps needing to sort of compose herself because you can just tell like, she cannot believe it. Right, and I think- She can't believe it. A lot of Hollywood now, like they don't really like care, like they don't respect the like, I mean, she has such adoration and care for like, um, all of it. All of it is important to her and she's going to act like it and she expects you to act like it. You know, this is all important and we are going to respect the craft. We are going to respect the awards. We are going to, you know, behave accordingly. Um, and so, yeah, when she gets, um, when she gets that due, you know, because so many people were overlooking her, not giving her any of that credit. Um, and it's, and it's fucking deserving, you know? Um, mm-hmm. The next thing, it, it, Yentl is a wonderful movie. Yeah. I just want to say quickly, truly, if I, I know this sounds like we're waving the flag, but for people listening who have not watched it, you should watch Yentl. It is a wonderful movie. Moving ahead, the next thing she makes is 1987's Nuts, which again to me feels very much in the vein of of the Sandbox. She is playing a woman who just fucking wants to be treated like a human. She wants to like. I mean, I Nuts really didn't do much. Um, you know, but she plays a woman, uh, uh, and it's based on a real life uh, uh, story of a woman who is, you know, she murders a man in self defense. Um, they want to um, say that she's crazy, use a, a crazy self defense, and she's like, "No, no, I'm not crazy." Like I, and and the fight for her to to prove that she's sane, like literally just the fight for a woman to mm. prove that she is sane and she could stand up for herself in court. Um, I enjoyed it. 1991. She makes the Prince of Tides makes and stars in it. Um, or I guess co-stars in it. I, for the longest time put off the Prince of Tides. Cause I was like, Oh, it's so long. Um, I watched today and I'm so happy to say that I was fucking wrong. It is a delight of a movie. I want to say this. It is a movie. I think that, at the time, maybe its marketing was sort of very in the vein of what was sort of happening in the early 90s. But to this day, though, the marketing, I think, of that movie comes off as very schmaltzy. Mm, yeah. And I do not think that is a schmaltzy movie. No, no. I mean, it's based on a very popular novel. Um, it is long. It's uh, this kind of sweeping southern romance drama I mean, it, you can tell it's like the Prince of Tides was was a great American novel. It has it all, um, mm. and she 
here she's able to turn it down. The volume is turned down. She's able to play the New Yorker who is up against Nick Nolte, who is, you know, the brash Southern man who has issues and problems. And, you know, his wife is cheating on him. His sister's um, trying to commit suicide. All this is going on. And she gets to kind of like lay back and just slowly pull the emotion out of him. Yeah. That, that, that scene when she's just like holding him and he's, mm. and he tells you like the big twist or the big secret and I, I was, I mean, this movie is fucking like 30 years old and I was just like shaken. I couldn't, I mean, and it's a, a very classic of, of that time. I was like, this is Oscar bait mama. And I ate yeah. it up. The, mm-hmm. the, the thing that she does specifically in that scene where he tells her his truth, um, which by the way, I saw this movie as a kid once again, because my mother loved Barbara Streisand and that scene, the flashbacks fucking scarred me. Yeah. No, not, no, 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 no. Not for children. Um, not not for, children. for children. Nope. Wrong age. Um, but, uh, she does this thing where she's trying to be so professional mm-hmm. and she's clearly getting emotional, mm-hmm. but she's holding it deep inside. And it's amazing to watch because it's um, it's very controlled. And I'm trying to imagine being both a person who is trying to inhabit that space as an actor and also being the director of that scene. And it feels impossible. Mm-hmm. And I don't even love the movie as much as you do, Louis. I think it's kind of a weird movie, but she's so good and so, so measured in her role. I, I yeah, I, I definitely think it's one of my favorite of her performances. Um, <clears throat> How old was Savannah when this happened? Thirteen. Mm-hmm. And um, wh- what were you doing while this was going on? Mm-hmm. You don't know? Maybe you ran for help? No. Why not? I don't know. Why do you think you didn't? Just cause. That's a child's answer, Tom. She directs this movie, also famously was very hard for her to like kind of get the rights proved like yes i'm the person to make this movie um like we mentioned earlier her son jason gould plays her son in this movie again nominated for a billion things except for best director uh um, yeah it, that just is kind of a thing that continues and like it directed itself the, you know it, it it does get nominated it's, for best picture but no director and you know in interviews when she does when she's doing the press push for that movie you know it, it's kind of I think, you know, before when Yentl wasn't nominated, I think she was able to be sort of very diplomatic about it. And she's still diplomatic about it in this instance, but she it's I think basically though she's she does sort of basically lead to the fact where she's like, it's hard for this one not to feel personal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It this feels like a very deliberate like we are withholding this from you. Right. Right. Um she doesn't make another movie until nineteen eighty six. She does The Mirror Has Two Faces which is a more kind of like rom com funny, right. easy breezy um, 
it it unfortunately adds to the idea that she is a diva on set because midway through the film she basically fires the entire crew brings on an, an an entire second crew to do the movie i mean honestly like if they're not getting it like men fire their dp all the time i don't i fully don't get why that would like get her painted but you know that's that's the reality we, th- yeah that's the fucking patriarchy we live in and i get it it doesn't look great when you fire your crew but honestly there are men that have gotten away with doing so much worse while making a film language gives us an insight into the different ways men and women are perceived a man is commanding while a woman is demanding he's assertive she's aggressive He strategizes, but she manipulates. He shows leadership while she's called controlling. If a man wants to get it right, he's looked up to and respected. If a woman wants to get it right, she's difficult and egotistical. And also just that never, and it never gets reported on. This is the big thing. Name, Name me a single man that you can think of that has fired their entire crew. We probably can't name one, and it's not because it hasn't happened. It's just because it doesn't get reported. It's on. not news. It's it's only yeah. news because it's Barbara. Um, Correct. I think her and Jeff Bridges have excellent chemistry in this movie. One, another thing. Jeff Bridges has never been more handsome in yep. a movie. Yeah. Yep. yep. I'm sorry. Him in that fucking like what Nike tank top. And he's doing. Me? He's doing the crunches. Ugh. Ugh. Um. So it's funny. Jeff Bridges was actually her original choice to play the lead in Prince of Tides, and she Ugh. couldn't get him. And so I Isn't love that. Funny. I love that she was able to get him back. I do want to give a shout out. By the way, somebody mentioned um on our Twitter. They were like, "Oh, thank God, this will give you a chance to talk about Mimi Rogers." And I do want to say, I agree. Mimi Rogers is perfect casting. Yes. to play Barbara's sister. So. I, th- I think this movie is like doing the work to like kind of like deconstruct romantic comedies yes it's, and that's that seems to be the goal right and and i think it actually does really well like it's I not think it totally succeeds yeah I, I it's not shocking to me that this movie is in and once again i don't think it's a perfect film but i, I think it, it totally deserves its place in the criterion collection like that's it's it's absolutely doing the thing where that people want from these movies yeah. where it like looks at it and is like okay we're not going to do the thing that maybe you necessarily think of one of the most Oh, can I uh, real quick? I know we're running along. One of the most brilliant things in the movie is um, she had some difficulty directing Lauren Bacall, oh. very classic actress. And so they were doing this scene over and over again. And finally, she told the cameras to keep rolling. And that part in the movie when she asks Lauren Bacall what it's like to be beautiful, she mm. is not talking to Lauren Bacall as her character. Mm. And Lauren Bacall is not talking to her as her daughter. They are talking actor to actor. But it works so well. Well, because if I'm not mistaken, the conversation that actually is captured, the sequencing of events is, yeah, she's really, she's not getting that moment because I think Lauren Bacall is really kind of playing it up. Yeah. And she keeps trying to like, she's like, I want you to really bring it down, bring it down. And she's not. And she goes, okay. And my understanding, actually, I thought Barbara told it this way. I thought she said, you know, we, we kind of, we cut. And I just started to talk with her. And I was asking her about Humphrey Bogart. And I was like, tell me about those days. And then she just starts to recount. She sort of starts telling these stories. And then I think Barbara asks the question, you know, and, you know, how did that feel? And Barb, and then Lauren Bacall gives that line read of, it was wonderful. And then Barbara goes, that's it. And then she's like, let's do it. How did it feel? How did what feel? Being beautiful. Oh, stop it. No, I mean it. How did it feel? 
having people look at you with such admiration, looking at yourself in the mirror with such appreciation. How did that feel? It was wonderful. Either way, it it's she draws it. a beautiful, beautiful performance out of a call. Right. And, and and that's it's... the thing. Like she, you know, these movies that she has directed, she is leading these actors to nominations, honey. Lauren McCall is nominated for an Oscar in this movie. Yeah. You know, Nick Nolte nomination. Like she's getting these like amazing performances from these roles. And that's why it's like so egregious, you know, that she's not being nominated. Um, I do have to say for this movie, I finally found someone is such a banger of a ballad. Like oh. Brian Adams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Canadian representation. Yes. The last three films that she has on her docket, you know, I would say are minor in the canon. Uh, she does Meet the Fockers in 2004, the sequel. Um, and then she does Little Fockers. And then in 2012, she does The Guilt Trip, which we talked about in our Road Trip movie, which... Um, I found out that she like made them make all the sets in Malibu because she was like, nope, I'm not going to go like film wherever <laughs> you guys want to. You're going to come here and we're going to do it here. Uh, Good for her. Good for her. She, oh, no question. She's, I, she's, I remember thinking she was very funny in Meet the Fockers. I think, you know, she's like a very tiny part of that movie. Yeah. Um, I, I like cracked and watched it because I hate, meet the parents but i was just like fine i'll fucking watch meet the fuckers and i do think she's very good in the role but also like literally you could not make me watch the the third one i was just like no, no. i'm i'm good no the, but, but it's also it's so funny she is an excellent comic she's yeah. so like even just the moment that stands out to me in meet the fuckers it's so funny because of course the scene that i think a lot of people would draw to is just when you know, Dustin Hoffman is literally rubbing his face in her cleavage with all the whipped cream and stuff. The moment that really gets me is when Dustin Hoffman is giving a toast at the dinner table and she thinks he's done. And so she goes to drink his wine and he goes, no, no, not yet. And she just goes, and she just spits it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so small. She just spits it back into the glass. And I'm like, you fucking nailed it. Like, it's those small moments where I'm like, you're so She's good. still got it. She's still got it. So, I mean, that wraps up her film career. And, you know, she's been on tours. She's retired, come back. She's done a lot of philanthropy. You guys know the picture of her sitting and all her awards, right? Yeah. Yeah. She, those are all her awards. She's won everything. She's, you know. She, she is the fourth EGOT winner we've done on this show. And I know, like. A lot of people get in their huff about that because her Tony is like a special an Tony. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But whatever, fuck you. She's an EGOT. She's yeah. also our second PGOT, um, which is the Peabody as well. Hello. Um, um, so uh, our first, I believe, was Rita Moreno. So Ugh, yeah. other icon. Uh, yeah, I mean, her legacy is like pristine. Like she will go. I mean, she's a, a huge uh, Democrat supporter. She's raised a bunch of money. Oh, uh, for the for the gays, for you know, civil liberties, mm -hmm. nuclear uh, disarmament, civil rights issues, women's issues. Like she has given the money. I just think it's crazy that she like she's so rich. She's yeah. so so rich, and I think when people are like, "Wow, what do you do with that money?" But she genuinely is giving it away a lot of the times. So. She even says like, "I come out of retirement to go on tour to raise money for my funds." Like, yeah. yes, that's it from for charities. Yeah, yes. yeah, totally. In 2020, speaking of philanthropy, by the way, real quick, uh, in June of 2020, she gave George George Floyd's daughter Disney shares. <laughs> Disney shares. Disney shares. Like crazy. 
whatever. She is someone who has been on the right side of history truly mm-hmm. her entire life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Ugh, fab. Um, okay, girlies, I think it's time now to go into our um, our picks. Do we want to do our tops or our bottoms? Or five let's, stars, one stars? Let's start with our one star reviews. That way, okay. you know, the happy days, they can be here again after. Okay, Liam, as our guest, you have the honor of spilling the tea first. What is your one-star review? And this is where I pick one of her projects, yes, and I have to be very... Yes. And I just have to... I have to be honest. I have to be honest. You have to I go mean, there. You have to go there. Yeah. I... Look, I have to tell the truth. It, this you, You've injected me with the truth serum. My one-star review of a Barbara project, I mean, there's no question that it's, you know... It's all night long. Yeah. Yeah. It's all night long. Yeah. What There's a no question. I, when I realized that she was fucking the son and then had the affair with the dad, I was like, this movie has gone off the rails. And that it's not a big deal. Yeah. Like, that's no. the part that drove me nuts. 1981. Is, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Oops. Um, so I'll, I'll just, I mean, and I know you want to talk about it. I'm going to let you get your chance to talk about it. But I didn't come with a backup because I don't think there's a better answer. So my one-star review is also All Night Long. Liam, mm-hmm. why don't you tell people what the movie's about? All Night Long. I mean, here's what here's what I'll tell people about All Night Long. <laughs> she is on the movie poster on a stripper pole. Mm-hmm. Done up in a Marilyn Monroe getup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is all you need to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truly, Gavin, take it away. It's in the middle of her career. It's basically the first movie where she's not top billed, which, first of all, nuts. Nice. Gene she's not? Oh, no. you're right. You're Gene Hackman's right. top billed. Um, you're so right. Gene Hackman plays this middle-aged man, George Dupler, who's at the end of his rope, and he gets demoted from the... the... When are men not at the end of the rope in movies? <laughs> exactly. Every day they're at the end of their rope. Um, he gets demoted from his office job to work in a convenience store that's owned by the company that um, his son is having an affair with an older woman who is actually his cousin, his fourth cousin. Who's so don't the worry. son? It's, it's, not, it's not too weird. Who's um, the son, though, played by? It's v- very hot young Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of shirtless Dennis Quaid. And I was like, yes, sir. Um, it's She, Cheryl, Barbara Streisand's character, is a very ditzy blonde. She, They are stressing the Marilyn Monroe-ness of it. I think she's trying, man. <laughs> Barbara's trying. Yeah. Um, she she goes to meet George. They start falling in love. He starts cheating on his wife. Um, and then the you know slapstick ensues from there. But it's like also like he's like, oh, I've, I'm I'm learning how to live again. Like finally something that I like in life that's not work. He's and finally it's, found someone. But it's <laughs> but it's like find someone who's not fucking your son. I don't know. And it's not related to you. <laughs> Guys, I want to just say this. Sometimes in this life, it's so hard to find love. Right. And, you know, listen, sometimes you find someone that's blood related and you're like, I know this is against the law. But the when the when the chemistry is that strong, I mean, you'd really have to just go with your heart I mean, and go with God. I mean, you but know? Hackman honest, is Hackmaning about just like yelling all the time. Ugh. No question. Honestly, no question. When, I, when I watched it, I was like, I was like, OK, well, at least we're going to find out that like she's fourth cousin through marriage or something. No. And no. then there's a fucking family reunion towards mm-hmm. the end of the movie. And I was just like, I, yeah. I was like, I hate this. I hate all of this. Yeah. yeah. You write music? Oh, sure. What kind? Oh, all kinds. Um, country. Hawaiian. 
gospel. You know, ideas just, they just come to me. I get these urges. I guess that just leaves you, Louie. Yeah. I mean, this is your time to shine. Okay, so mine is 79's main event. I... A good choice. Also well. a great choice. <laughs> also a wonderful choice. I... Okay, again, coming back around to, like, Annoying Girl, um, this movie is about a, a a perfumier, whatever person who makes perfumes. Turns out she's actually really fucking broke. Her manager steals all her money. The only thing she has left to her name is the contract to a fighter. Um, it's Ryan O'Neal. He's actually not a fighter anymore he's yeah. a driving school instructor um it's the plot of Shit's creek yes <laughs> basically um it all comes back uh-huh, it all comes back um she goes to meet him and she's like let's make money let's do some fights he's like no whatever um they decide to train um again some like forced kissing like he's like why don't you want to fuck and she's like no motherfucker i just want you to make money for me but then during fights she's like Hey, look over here. Look at me while I'm talking to you. Come on. You should be hitting him. I was like, in what fucking world? And then the the, the gagarini of it all is like there's a training montage. And she's wearing like the tiniest little shorts that she's wearing on the poster cover. And she's like bending over gratuitously. Like you can see all of her goodies. And it's mm. and then she's like, Wait, why are you looking? It's insanity. I I all the magic of What's Up Doc... As if it never happened. He, right. Ryan O'Neill is not charming, not fun, not cute. Barbara has oh. her permed hair. It's just not a, a all around not great moment for her. There's that scene towards the end of the movie where they're like in in bed together and he's basically like, where I come from, the men own the women. Yeah. And she's like not pushing back about it. I was just like, what? What is happening? A lot of also like, she's like, oh, I got to stay in the cabin with all these men. And they shoot it as if, like, she walks in the room and all the men are just, like, fucking, I don't know, oogling and just, like, drooling all over her. Like, they cannot contain themselves. I'm like, is this straight people? Like, is this straight (laughs) culture? Like, yeah. (laughs) It's just you open the door. Oh, sorry about my boner. Yeah, It's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. woman. I just, (laughs) yeah. They literally have to take a man physically out of the cabin because he says, I can't take it anymore, as if he's about to, like, go and rape her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? I don't understand. Um, if, if if I did have a backup, it would be the main event. And it's so funny because um, our, our former guest, Dan Mecca, who did our Jane Fonda episode with us, when he found out we were doing a Barbra Streisand episode, first of all, was like, oh, you probably already have a guest. <laughs> but, also, <laughs> but also was like, um, you, like, I the joy of watching you watch the main event <laughs> I was I, like, the yeah. joy the terror the horror um yeah i hate this movie there i mean i there was so much joy as i was watching all these movies but this movie i fucking hate it um yeah she finally knows her place on her back with her mouth shut well kid he's not the only one in shape Take a picture of this, Eric. Kid, nauseous. Let's let's just do our five star reviews. Let's get out of here. Liam, back to you, gal. I mean, I'm gonna say, I feel like maybe everyone's really prepared for me to pick Funny Girl, but my four, my five star really is Yentl. Wow. I think I think it is a better movie than uh, Funny Girl, and I actually think it's the best performance she's ever given. It's funny, you know, you watch her when she's 
when she's playing Anshul, mm, right? Mm-hmm, the boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually think she's so believable as the boy. Really? There's, and there's even, yes. And I find it, because she really plays him as a boy. Mm. Like, and even when you watch her physicality, like when you watch the way that she's running even, there's, and there's kind of like, she really leans into that very sort of like gawky, awkward way. That, like, you know, um, there's really a, like, there's a, a point when, because I'm pretty sure like Mandy Patinkin's character also probably by this, oh, well, wait a minute. Because Anshul and Yentl in that movie are meant to be 17. And, you know, when you're 17, there are people who are still very much, like, kids at 17. And then there are people who are really, like, starting to develop at 17. You're like, oh, no, yeah, you look more like an adult. And to me, it's I think she's just playing the younger end of 17. Where right. it's like she's just not r- right there yet. Um, I think it's an incredible performance. And I'm picking this movie because it connects th- themes that exist in Funny Girl it exists in The Prince of Tides. It exists in The Owl and the Pussycat. It exists in um, The Mirror Has Two Faces. Everything, her pull towards her romantic lead, the Omar Sharifs of it all, the Jeff Bridges of it all, the Nick Nolte's, the you know Mandy Patinkins, it is all in relation to what she's able to and how she sort of charms them through her intellectual prowess and or talent and or abilities. It's never about her being the most beautiful person. And again, sort of echoing the sentiment that I think she has about herself of maybe feeling like she's not the most beautiful person, but that she is the most talented. Yeah. I think she's very secure in her, her abilities. And, you know, the whole seduction that she has with the Mandy Patinkin character, even though she's posing as Anshul, is she really is, it's a meeting of the minds. These are two people who are really bonding over their love and their study of, um, you know, the Jewish religion and, you know, that theology. You're wrong, Avigdor. It's a mistranslation. The Hebrew word for rib never meant rib. It meant side. Rib, side. What's the difference? All the difference in the world since Adam was created both male and female. Where's that written? Genesis chapter 5, verse 2. And if God took one side of Adam and not his rib and created woman, that means they're the same. We all are. Everybody's, don't you see? What I see is you've never been with a woman. What I mean is that they share masculine and feminine qualities since they come from the same source. Look, can you do that? What? Create life. Give birth to sons. When you can do that, then you tell me we're the same. You know, when she was pulling together the color palette for this film, you know, as she says on her episode of Inside the Actor's Studio, you know, she really, she studied paintings very closely and specifically Renoir. She wanted to look at like what made the blacks black? Like what made the browns brown? And looking at the, like the depth of color and knowing that that's all in that movie. And when you actually think about the palette she's working with, it could be such a, it's a big reason why, for example, I hate Westerns. Cause it's always, it's very beige. It's very sort of vacuous. It's not terribly engaging to look at. This movie could have been, visually so one note Mm. but there is so much depth it is a it's a gorgeous movie to look at it's an incredible story to behold it's such a fascinating love story and that the love and that the bond between these characters is predicated not on sexual attraction but really someone's connection that they have with you know someone's mind i think is such 
a unique uh, device for a story. That was so long-winded. I apologize, no, but no. I, I, I love that movie. <laughs> that, that's literally why you're here. Um, the only thing I would add to that, if you wanted to get even more long-winded, is I also think there's a lot of really interesting queer readings uh, that could go yes. on a, about yes. this. What a great point. And and not even and not even just between um, you know Mandy Patinkin's character and her character, uh, but also Amy Irving. Yeah, Hadass. Amy Irving. Right. And 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 I actually really love Amy Irving's relationship with Barbara Streisand in this film. And I think it's actually a really beautiful thing. And I, and and I, I really like that, but also like with that comes the questioning of, of gender roles as determined by society. And ultimately that's why Yentl sort of has to, you know, extricate herself from that situation. Um, Not even just because she was found out, but, uh, but because she needed to, you know, go to a place where it was more acceptable. It's funny. The um, writer of the book, Isaac Singer, he uh, he like is ardent about the fact that this is not a piece of feminist literature and he like hated the ending because he thought that that the you know Yentl should sort of um never find what she was looking for and that's sort of where and I love that this movie turns its back on that yes and it isn't interested in telling that story it's interested in telling something that's more complex more human and more relatable and um so with that being said and i don't know why we're so fucking in sync because i'm rarely this in sync with anybody else but yentl is also my five-star review yeah. so yeah yeah gag uh, the old, if if I had to give one negative thing, the Papa Can You Hear Me scene is a little it's all coming back to me now music video, but also <laughs> like it's her fucking movie. Let her let her do what she wants. Love. I'm sorry. The note that she holds at the end of a piece of sky. Excuse me. Oh, also, what an interesting what an interesting hearkening to Funny Girl when you talk yes, about honoring yes. sort of the reference of yeah. William Wyler. I mean, it's pulling away from the boat. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Oh, stunning. Stunning. Wow. Gavin, I did not expect you to go for Yentl. I am gagged. I'm uh, a man of many surprises. Not, that's well, right. Okay, like five surprises. A man <laughs> of five surprises. Um, there's a lot to choose from, I think. You know, there's a lot of great uh, films, but I would... Yeah, we, we didn't even... Sorry, and not to interrupt, but we didn't even do, like, what were her other films that you didn't like, because I honestly don't think they're the, enough for no. it to be, like... I it's mostly like bops. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah mostly this bops. is again, this is the other thing about her career. It is mostly success. Yeah. <laughs> like it is mostly with from film to TV to movies. It is mostly incredibly successful. Right. Um, I had the most joyous time um, and, and I was most surprised by 1972's What's Up Doc. Ah. I, I couldn't believe that, you know, because I was, as I was watching things, I was like, okay, she's playing this gal who's got, like, the sass. And I, th- I when I watched Funny Girl, I was like, okay, this is really good. But, like, isn't she ever exhausted by doing the whole shtick of it all? You know, the, the give and the this and that. What's Up Doc is the perfect vehicle for her to do that. But also... It, because it's so screwball, it cuts all of that down. You know, it's it's so stylish. It, it's so precise. And she mm. is able to live inside this perfect, beautiful box and just have a fucking blast. When she's, you know, and, and there are so many notes from the movie when that are incredible. Like, obviously, Gavin, you talked about the glass painting. It's incredible. When she's at the dinner table and just charming every single person there 
Like, we are included in that dinner. We are also being charmed. We are also falling under the spell that is Barbara. We, in this movie, understand why someone would put up with someone like her. Because she is that charming girl. When they made this movie in San Francisco, you know, there's that moment where they go up to um, the roof and it's, like, under construction or being remodeled. And she just sings to him. And that was recorded live. And she is... I, I, and you can see this guy just like melting, like you know, Ryan O'Neill yeah. is melting in this moment. Like, oh, this is a very special woman. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, he walks into mine. Play a tram. I don't. Uh... You must remember this. C minor seventh. Oh. A kiss is still a kiss. A sigh just a sigh. And it's really believable in that scene because she gets him to sing a little bit too yeah. with him. And I feel like it's so, for, for being such a heightened comedy, for being such a screwball thing, it, it's believable. Mm-hmm. It's like enchanting. Yeah. Like it's a spell. Cause she's an incredible actor. She, yeah. she just is. And she it, just is. And when, especially man, when she's in a comedy, it, it is, it really does fit her like a glove more oftentimes than not. Right. And, and, but like, it's funny because, you know, <laughs> there is no comparison, but like the guilt trip, which allegedly is a comedy compared to <laughs> what's up doc, you know, the writing is just so spot on and in her style, in her zone, she the one-liners are incredible and she is able to deliver them like no one else um mm. the looks that she's turning in this movie you know stunning that chase scene it's 11 minutes i believe of just them being chased um if you don't know this movie is about four different parties show up to a hotel they each have one bag that all looks the same people are trying to steal it people are trying to use it for their own means um it's crazy bonkers bananas it's the most fun you will have watching a movie i love it and and as I said earlier, she genuinely is playing. And I, I know like the the what's up doc is taken from a Looney Tunes cartoon. There's a Looney Tunes cartoon in the film, but like she is literally the she's the force of chaos. She is yes. Bugs Bunny, but she but the reason why we love Bugs Bunny is regardless of how chaotic he is, he's so fucking charming. Yep. And yeah, right, she's right. so so charming in the the movie. I, it's funny. I was thinking about just the way I was so nervous because I had never seen this going in. I'm shocked that I had never seen this, but going into it. Uh, the first scene you see her like, like accidents keep happening around her. And I was like, oh, is this going to be the thing with the girl and like every like, but and maybe that's because when we did our Chris Pine episode and I had to watch Just My Luck. <laughs> but, but, I, but I was like, but the movie transcends all that like right away. Yeah. And part of that is just her. Yeah. Just her doing right. her thing. Right. Yeah. Um, is there anything wow. else we want to like mention in the pantheon of five-star reviews i think you know funny girl is a banger no question uh, I, I you know it was her lowest earner but i really think more people should watch up the sandbox it's clearly dated but there's so many interesting things in it and i think it's like really for the time that it came out is like yeah. god like the stuff that happens in that movie it's just like 
more things should have been like this but unfortunately as as she says in the opening of that commentary nobody wanted to see barbara streisand change diapers yeah which is actually my favorite thing about that movie is because up until that point she hadn't i think really played like a contemporary woman Mm -hmm. yeah and it's and it's wonderful to watch her and i'm not saying like oh it's wonderful to watch her play a mother i'm saying like it's wonderful to watch her play a woman who's interacting with the modern world yeah yeah and she's so grounded and there is and frankly and there is something watching like you're like you're watching her just be so believable as like this grounded woman who lives in an apartment in new york city and um i mean it's funny you know we just mentioned this of course but like her filmography really is mostly hits frankly yeah and there's a lot to explore there i mean we we mentioned you know we're talking about five star reviews we'd be remiss not to encourage people to watch the way we were if you haven't yeah. seen it. If you, if you have not seen, um, if you have not seen The Mirror Has Two Faces, if you have not seen The Prince of Tides, if you have not seen Funny Girl, I mean- The thing like, is she really, has something for everyone. Like if you are a rom-com That girl, is a great point, Like yes. The Mirror Has yes. Two Faces is in the rom-com canon. Like we don't talk about it enough in the same vein of like Soups in Seattle, you know, like all these things like- Moonstruck. Yes, yeah, exactly. Sure, like sure. The Mirror Has Two Faces belongs in that canon. The way we were- No question great romances of our times like you know drama the, Pr- the prince of tides like yentl it's it, she has it all like and and the gag is like a lot of those she was not only part of them but she was like integral to those productions yes, absolutely and and i'm gonna go ahead and guess that not unlike the choreography of miss marmelstein and i can get it for you wholesale <laughs> there is a great deal of work i'm sure that she has done that she's just gone largely uncredited for yeah oh yes. yeah you know yeah totally so there's something to be there's there's also for as accomplished and as venerated as she is i think there's also so much work that she has done that we will never know about until she puts out that biography god one day um okay before we get out of here let's do our mixed reviews review uh so my one star was 1979's the main event and my one star review was 1981's all night long and I can only echo what Gavin just said. My one-star review was also 1981's All Night Long. My five-star review is 1972's What's Up, Doc? I'm going to speak for both myself and Gavin. Our five-star review was 1983's Yentl. Incredible. So good. Uh, let's get into our fast-forward and wrap things up. So, mentioned earlier, she's working on our autobiography. She's really taking her time. She's working on and off on it. She's got... You know, she's she's got a lot of shopping to do underneath her house. Yes. People know about that because the book is real, right? The, 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 the she wrote Yes, the book is real. That she has a book of it's called like My Passion for Design. And it's yes. all about her um building of her estate in Malibu. Um and it's I mean, God, she like would prefer to write about, you know, all the work she's done for her. she has like I think five homes on her estate of forty acres. It's meticulously designed. Um you know, and uh, Buyer and Seller is a one-man show that uh, was written years and years ago, um, but Michael Yuri stars in it, and he did a virtual production of it f- uh, during the pandemic for Broadway Cares, and it is incredible. It's all about um, this fictionalized, the author wondered, you know, uh, Barbara famously has underneath her house a um, old-time shop that looks like the New England shopping squares that she loves. And uh, this author, this writer wondered, I wonder if she hires people to work down there. And so the one man <laughs> show is a, is an actor who is hired to play a shopkeeper in her basement store. 
Uh, yeah. Incredible. But yeah. I mean, on top of that, and what's mentioned in the show, by the way, too, uh, on top of that, she's been trying to get that version of Gypsy off the ground for years and years and years and years. And I think at this point, she's basically said that she's too, too old, old to play Mama Rose. Yeah, yeah. But I, w- I would still love to watch a version of that. Also, supposedly, um, for a little bit, she was in talks to direct um, a Catherine the Great movie based off a 2014 Blacklist script with Kira Knightley starring. Um, oh. ha- however, there's both, you know, the great on Hulu and that Catherine the Great miniseries that happened on HBO with Helen Mirren. So right. that's probably not happening. But I would I wouldn't mind to see Kira, you know, act in a in a Barbara Streisand picture. Anything that Barbara touches, we're probably going to watch. Yeah. yeah, let's be honest. Um, in terms of everything else, like, I don't know, she, I guess she could go on another tour if she wanted to, but she doesn't have here's to. Here's the thing though, she's 79 years old. Yeah. Um, she is like, you know. Happily married. Happily married. To James Brolin. Yes. Handsome, handsome man. Yes. James um, but you know, she is getting to the late stages of her life now. She is in yeah. like the last quarter of her life. Um, you know, she's still sound. Oh, that's generous. I mean, <laughs> oh, wait, oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I thought you meant like she had another 25 years left. No, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Go, 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 go. But like she, you know, is uh, still got the voice. She, you know, ha- put out a Netflix special. Um, I honestly don't see her doing anything else. I don't, yeah. I, I, I hate to say it, but like, I can't imagine her because she is so particular. I mean, we, my God, I was just watching the Kathy Griffin um part of her special where she talks about how famously Barbara Streisand went on Oprah, painted the microphone white. Yes, right. Did the right. Whole, like the interview, whatever. Um, and she famously only likes, when she goes on talk shows, she makes the host switch chairs with her because she only likes being filmed from that one side. Um, that is a real thing. On Ellen, on Jimmy Kimmel, like all of them. Like, Rosie. Rosie. She likes what she likes, okay? And she's not afraid to say it. Um, well, and the reality is that, you know, it does take so much time to get projects off the ground. And, you know, there does just become this thing where you're like, does Robert Streisand have another 16 years to develop something like it took, you know, Yentl to get off the ground? Right. Probably not. Right. You know? Yeah. And I yeah. think she's just probably more interested in keeping her house looking the way she wants it to, making her, her life. Philanthropy. Her philanthropy. You know, her causes, yeah. Her dogs. Uh, like I'm not, whatever iteration she's on of those dogs. Yes, yes. rest in peace, Samantha. Ninety six. Yeah, R.I.P. Uh, 8.0. I just cannot see. I mean, I think where she is right now is that you know we'll see her come to the Oscars once in a while. We'll yeah. see her come to. Oh my god, that moment with her and Spike Lee. But, yeah, and we both like hats. Oh, <laughs> so good. She's so incredible. Good. Um, but yeah, I mean. I, I can't imagine her uh, taking on another project. You know, she's right. She's she's done all she has to do. She is an icon. She will forever be an icon. She, you know, will maybe do a one-off show once in a while, and that is fine. She's worked so fucking hard. She's one of the most yeah. hardworking people in Hollywood since she was sixteen. So she's been hustling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, I don't know. And she's managed to accomplish all this and more by being a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls. Yes. 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 You know, well done. She's a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls. God, I just, the one thing I want is to be back surrounded with fellow queers, watching videos of her singing her face off, feeling the magic because she truly is magical. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, I never mentioned her boy, her bisexual boyfriend. She uh, caught him with another man um, uh, on New Year's Eve. That's why. And it up. all comes full circle. Yeah, yeah. Tale it all comes full as circle. old as time. Tale as old as time. Tale as old as time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I guess that really wraps up Barbara Streisand for us. Uh, but she is truly an icon. She's amazing. And uh, honestly, I don't I don't think it's sad that you went out on the fact that you don't think she's going to do anymore. I think you're being practical. But also, like, if she has one more movie in her, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't. Just, no question. Ne- no never question. say never. Just not a little. Um, uh, meet the parents yeah. sequel not not a guilt trip not a no, yeah no uh liam oh. thank you so much for being on this episode are you kidding thank you for having <laughs> me what a blast so this is the time that you have to plug whatever you want you have a beautiful wonderful podcast that's really it. great oh my god well there are th- so i will say if you want to sort of generally sort of keep up with all my like many uh you know, fucking little side endeavors. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Liam Garrow. I release a podcast every Monday called Deep Feels. And the guests have been like so great. We've talked to people who have been like- You've had great guests. It's been kind of fun. Yeah, I I spoke to Mark Harris about his writing of the biography of Mike Nichols. I've had Tim Long, who's been a writer on The Simpsons. I've spoken with Lisa Traeger, who's a terrific stand-up. Like it's been a really, really fun, um, uh, uh, it's been a fun little stretch here. And there are more great guests to come. So every Monday you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And then as a sort of side pivot from that, I also teach. Uh, so I teach a uh, an original pilot writing course. So for anyone listening, if you want sort of an incentive or kind of some fire under your ass to get some writing done, or maybe you have an idea that you're struggling with that you kind of want help finessing, starting on May 31st, I'm starting a new round of classes. It's three classes, only 100 bucks. And then you're given a whole month to write your original script. And then I read it and I give you notes. So how about that? How about that? Amazing. Incredible. How about that? You're teaching the children. <laughs> I'm doing what, God damn it, in this pandemic, I'm doing what I can. We Are gotta, you kidding me? We gotta do Are it. Are you kidding me? We gotta do it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We had so, so much fun. I have always I have always said the greatest joy of this podcast is finding these gems of movies that yeah. I have never watched before. And I'm just like, oh, my life is so much richer. So thank you, Liam, for making my life richer by introducing oh. all these just amazing, iconic movies and things like that. So it's been great. Well, thank you for doing this deep dive with me. It's been such a pleasure. So much fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And if you want to contact us at The Mix Reviews online, you can always find us on Twitter at, at The Mix Reviews. You can find us on Facebook. Just type in The Mix Reviews. You can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. We can find a lot of fun stuff. Um, we are the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to listen to any of the episodes in our back catalog, you can subscribe to us on a plethora of podcast apps. We're on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Audible. Did I say Audible? Maybe I did. Is that fashion. How many you say fashion. I want. I want you to know. You literally <laughs> said Audible right after you said Audible, and I was yeah, like, yeah. God bless. Is it fashion? Did, is it fashion? Did you? Did <laughs> I say way, fashion? Is it fashion? Yeah. yeah. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please stop by. Leave us a five star rating and a it little review. It takes two seconds and if you are listening to a podcast (laughs) rate review and subscribe it takes two seconds and it means i want to really hammer this home for you it makes a huge difference for the algorithms on platforms on podcast platforms and it really helps to elevate the profile of a show so if you're listening to this and if you're enjoying it do yourself a favor and do these guys a favor and extend the courtesy of giving them a five-star review Excuse Thank you me. so much. Liam said Thank so, you. guys. So now you have to. That's it, right, Gavin? 
Uh-huh. That is. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We will be back in two weeks with another story of the film world. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Get hapsa. Guess I didn't make it. Get ready for me, love, cause I'm a comer. I simply gotta march my heart to drum. I know what it